All right. So um, first topic for discussion was the National Housing Finance and Investment Corporation uh, basically brought out a bit of a paper talking about what effect getting rid of stamp duty would lead to uh, in the economy. Um, and, and something we talk about a lot on the show is how stamp duty is a pretty big barrier to a lot of people getting into the housing market because it's quite an yeah. expensive tax to pay when you mm-hmm. buy a house. So um, yeah. stamp duty is around 20% of the upfront cost of a property purchase. Um, yeah. And obviously it's pretty a draining cost if you have to buy it, use it multiple times. Maybe you're moving houses every five years. That's a, a lot of money. So um, the ACT has already gotten rid of stamp duty and they just charge a yearly like annual annual rate that they charge yeah. to people that's much cheaper than the, the upfront payment. Um, they're estimating that the reform of stamp duty could improve housing affordability, boost home ownership by 6% and increase average household income by around $3,300 and create 70,000 more jobs. I don't understand the jobs uh, improvement, yeah. but I wondered what your thoughts were. Yeah, I'm not. I, with that one, I'm just not sure where they got the 20% cost from because stamp duty is normally around 3 to 4% of the cost. So if you if you're buying a property in say New South Wales, and the price is say five hundred grand, the stamp duty is about eighteen thousand. So right. it's only about between three and four percent. I think what they're saying is it's just it's a fair whack of money. So yeah, you know, first home buyers in a lot of states get stamp duty exemption, so they don't have to pay it. Mm. But if you're buying a property. Um, say in Melbourne, you know, we had a client buy a property for $1.2 million. The stamp duty was close to 80 grand. So, yeah, that's a, that's a lot of money. It's, for a lot of people, it's a year's wages. Um, if, if, you want, if you want to free up housing stock by encouraging people, say, like us, to downsize, um, yeah, the, the cost to downsize can be like 100 grand by the time you pay an agent to sell your property and right. then you pay 50 or 60 in stamp duty plus removalist costs and all that other stuff. So I think what the um, the finance corporation and a lot of other people are saying is that rather than um, whack a lot of people who are just buying a property for the first time or are buying a new property, if you had a land tax that applied to everybody, much like you have council rates, you collect a lot of money um, because there's it's more, it's more efficient. Um, you might have more people building and buying houses, which would create employment. So, yeah, I think at the moment state governments are making a fortune out of stamp duty. So there's you know they've probably got more important things to worry about at the moment, like mm. trying to get people vaccinated and that sort of thing. But um, yeah, it's it's a fair argument. And there was that proposal from New South Wales to. Um, to um, cut out stamp duty and have you know, people to elect either pay stamp duty or a annual tax. So mm. hopefully that'll that'll come in soon. Yeah, okay. Um, next thing we're going to cover was a quick rehash of some of the budgeting tips that we've brought up in the past. So um, yeah. the first one was the red and the green pen uh, concept yeah. that you, you, you like to give away to clients. So I wondered if you could break that down first. Yeah, I know people can't see it, but we've got one of those yeah. art line pens that you buy at Officeworks for a couple of bucks. So basically what we find is that a lot of people um, don't have a 
realistic handle on what they spend their money on. Mm. And, yeah, for you to have a dollar to spend, if you've had to earn that income, you've had to earn a dollar fifty to have a dollar to spend after Christian. You know, once you earn your dollar fifty, you pay tax and you have your super deducted, you've got a dollar left. So if you're looking to maximize your borrowing capacity and your wealth, um, a couple of ways you can go about it. One is earn more income. Another way is reduce the amount of you know, credit cards and personal loans you have. But the other way is to reduce your living expenses. Um, right. Now, the banks, um, we've talked about the household expenditure measure and how banks have a figure that they'll use for, say, a single person or a couple with two kids. And if you want to use a figure that's below that, which a lot of people do mm. um, initially, you have to justify it. And yeah, the only real way you can justify it is by going through your couple of months worth of bank and credit card statements and looking at where you spend your money. And we often say to people, put a red a red cross against things that you bought that you really didn't need um, and put a green tick against things that you had to buy. And for the things that you put a green tick against, have a think about whether you can get a better deal. So if one of them is fuel, can you use a fuel tracking app to get better price on petrol or can you buy your fuel on a Tuesday or whatever day is normally cheaper in your area? Or if, if, if you're paying for electricity, are you using it effectively? Are you on the best rate? Are you, you know, running your, running your um, clothes dryer at night? Are you doing right. things after hours, those sorts of things? Okay. So you can just save a lot of money by just, just doing that. And if you can, we just say to people, if you can save 500 bucks a month, well, that's 30 grand in five years, which is not too bad. Yeah, for sure. And that could go towards paying off the mortgage or making more repayments on there or something like that too. Yeah, or just you know, sa- saving a deposit for um, for a property or, or whatever you want to do or just paying, paying down some bad debt. For sure. Um, one thing that I'd add on to that, <clears throat> it doesn't as much relate to the red and the green pen argument, but um, if I have a budget set up that includes some spending money for the month, um, I will take that money out in cash. So if that yep. money is for things like going out for drinks or having coffees or, you know, anything mm-hmm. like that, I will take it in cash. So I have a physical, like a visual and physical of, of knowing how much I have left for that month. So I'm a bit wiser with it. Um, yeah. I think, I think the tap and go has made it just easy for people to spend money. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, it's not, you don't see it leaving the wallet. So yeah. Yeah. I try not to use my debit card for many things unless anything that's online buying, but even then I try to reduce that too. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's fair, a fair one. There was a little quick one we we're going to cover too, which is more about the property investment side that um, some people might have a common misconception around property investing, which is that you might want to focus on having a really nice house that sits on the land that you're buying as a good investment opportunity if you're trying to rent something out, but that's not always the case. And this guy, Jeremy Uh Shepard, we get a bit of uh, some good like insights from on his articles online. He's talking about that 
what you really want to look for in a property to invest is the highest possible land to asset uh, land to asset ratio, which is LAR mm-hmm. for short. Um, older properties tend to have more land than newer properties, yeah. um, and the land is what appreciates over time. It's not the building. The building is usually the one that depreciates in value as the yeah. um, as it ages and gets older. So. Is there anything yeah. you wanted to add so that, to that? Yeah, that, that thing you mentioned about the the, you know, the nice house and that sort of stuff, you just need to remember that, that buying a place to live in and buying an investment property are two totally different things. Mm. Um, when you're buying a place to live in, it's more emotional, it's more about your lifestyle, where you live, what you want, um, how you're going to use the house in terms of your bedrooms, bathrooms, entertaining areas, yeah, it's it's closeness to your um, things you like to do, whether it's you know playing golf or go on the beach or, or that sort of thing or where you work. But in relation to an investment property, um, as Jeremy said, the thing that appreciates is is the land. So so long as the house is comfortable and is lettable, um, all you've got to do is think of who the who the likely tenants are and are they likely to want to rent the property. And that's sure. all that matters. And it doesn't have to be a fancy house. Um, it doesn't have to be an expensive house. It just has to be a comfortable house. And yeah, you know, land appreciates in value. So the more land you can get, the better, up to a certain amount. You know, you don't yeah. go buy four thousand acres with a with a house on it. But yeah. if you can get eight to nine hundred square meters of land, you've not only got a good size block, you've got the opportunity to subdivide it later if you want, add a granny flat, um, extend. Um, yeah, whatever, whatever you want to do. So it just gives you more options. For sure. Um, we're going to talk about the first home loan deposit scheme as well. So an additional okay. 30,000 places in that scheme are going to be released by the government. Um, the consumer groups that are usually related to this sort of news are complaining about possible risks for home buyers getting into mortgages they might not be able to afford due to the scheme because they're getting in a lot earlier with some assistance from the government. Um mm-hmm. The Adrian Kelly, who's I think the CEO or the president of the Real Estate uh, Investment Australia, um, is sort of saying we're not seeing that mainly because the banks are a lot more cautious than we give them credit for, especially in their lending practice, making sure that people can pay off their loans in worst case scenarios. So I wanted to ask what your thoughts were on lenders and whether you feel like they're being as cautious as it's sort of being made out to be with giving loans away. Yeah, look, I, yeah, I think yeah. with this one, like people have to have people have to have five percent deposit. A lot of people um, in this, <clears throat> you know, who are applying for these loans would be renting, and yeah, you know, if people are renting and have saved five percent, yeah, they've they've probably shown that they can afford to pay a mortgage. Um, I suppose the thing that um, Adrian Kelly points out is that. Um, the the problem we've got is lack of supply. That's yeah. that's the issue. No matter which no matter which way you look at it, it's lack of supply mm-hmm. at the yeah. moment. Yeah, you know, there's there's two there's you know more demand for houses than there is houses to go around and units sure. and that sort of stuff. Um, we we're talking to some clients this morning who are up in Toowoomba, and you know they were looking at making an offer on a place that you did the RP data thing on. I think the RP data said 370. Um, they were looking at that. They'd received an offer of over 600,000 for the house. So that just shows you how mental it is. We've got another client in Newcastle looking at something around the 450 and the agents got offers of mid 500. So at the moment, 
there's just not enough supply of property. Um, we did see an article a week or two ago about the number of listings expected to increase, that um, agents are doing a lot more appraisals. So, yeah, hopefully that's going to balance it up a bit. But um, I think, you know, to get back to your, your original point, I think lenders are being you know, pretty cautious with the first home loan deposit scheme. Um, the issue is, you know, there's not enough spots to go around unless, of course, you're building a property. If you're building a property, you have happy days. And, yeah. Um, yeah, you can usually get a spot. Okay. Um, another thing we're going to talk about was after pay. So, um, Afterpay is one of the buy now, pay later schemes that's gotten pretty popular over the like the pandemic. So they partnered yep. up. Uh, it was announced they partnered up with Westpac about eight months ago. Um, mm -hmm. They've now started the rollout of an app they're calling Money by Afterpay. So it's a money and lifestyle application collaboration with Westpac. Uh, it's it started as a staff pilot uh, at the end of July. And the, de the design of the app is to help its users build financial confidence, providing them with simple money management uh, experiences focused on saving their money. Uh, you can have up to 15 different savings accounts for different uh, savings goals. I know how you feel about multiple uh, savings accounts, so we can talk about that. Yeah. Uh, and the app offers users a 1% interest rate per annum on up to 15 different savings accounts. So you can, as, as yeah. long as you have money in those savings accounts, you'll get a 1% uh, return on those each month. No fees will be charged at the moment. They're planning with no fees to be charged. Um, and they're encouraging customers to use this account to directly deposit their salaries and view the financial position in one place um, in, a, uh -huh. in a complete format. I just wondered what your thoughts were on this, considering that Afterpay and other sort of buy now, pay later schemes are so popular, but they can also be sort of risky for, for people when it comes to credit checks down the line. Yeah, I suppose this is the thing. I read some stuff during the week about Afterpay taking on the banks, and I think this might be their first toe in the water for, for doing that. Yeah. Um, the, the problem with a lot of these things is when you've got multiple accounts, like if you've got, you can have 15 accounts. If you've got 15 accounts and they've all got 45 cents in them, you've still only got $6.75 in the bank. And I think some of these things... Um, you know, and splurge accounts and all these other things, lull people into a false sense of security because I just think you need to simplify your banking and that you need um, uh, an account for, like, your salary, an account for your bills, an account for your savings, and, you know, maybe an account for investment, you know, if you want to go, go that far. Um, I'm not too sure. I imagine, like, one of the things banks like to do, and they call it share of wallet, so a lot of banks offer things like package loans and all that sort of stuff where you get a home loan and they give you a, um, a credit card and they give you insurance and try and get your super. Um, so maybe this is what they're trying to do is trying to get people um, who would normally just buy things through Afterpay, Afterpay to almost get them to start banking with Afterpay. And this could be where eventually Afterpay goes into offering loans. So this could, you know, this could be what they're doing. It's interesting that Westpac um, signed the deal with them. I'm not sure what's, you know, where that's sort of leading to. But, um, you know, they're saying that it's, you know, we'll make money management simple, frictionless and stress-free. I think the main thing with a lot of people's money management is that they just spend too much money on crap. Yeah. Um, so no matter, no matter whether you've got three accounts or 20, 
um, if you still spend too much money on crap, you're not going to have much money. Yeah. And there's something to it. I, I wonder sometimes, I don't know whether money management, I, I guess it all comes under education. And I feel like yeah. education is what we're lacking right now. I don't think it's applications that let you see all of your money in one place and give you discounts on afterpay uses, which is what it's going yeah. to do. I think it's more yeah. about learning things like how to budget, how to have a savings goal, why you should be smarter with your money uh, and putting more into investment if you can to become wealthier in the future. Things like that mm. are sort of lacking that I'm not sure yeah. that this is going to help, but it's, yeah. it's still too early to know. I believe it's going to be rolled out to the, the public in October. So we'll probably mm. touch back on with that then. Yeah, um, yeah cool. Yeah, yeah we'll just say it goes like the, yeah. the people running after pay are very smart. So, you know, they've obviously got something, some end game in mind. Um, but sure. I imagine it's probably along the lines of um, if you have bank accounts with them. It's a bit like um, probably about a year ago, we talked about the Commonwealth Bank Dolomite accounts. Now, yeah, in when I was a kid, um, the Commonwealth Bank used to come to schools and help you open bank accounts and help you set up savings and all that sort of stuff. And they gave you little money boxes and all that sort of stuff. Now, yeah, they they worked out that that program was worth about ten billion dollars to the Commonwealth Bank. So yeah, yeah, maybe it's maybe it's something along that. Yeah, if Afterpay can get you banking with them, yeah, people are already buying products using afterpay if they can get, get you banking with them you know then maybe down the line you might get an afterpay home loan for sure for sure and also yeah and getting going, a, getting a getting a house is the ultimate buy now pay later isn't it really yeah yeah that's true the um interesting thing about the dolomites was uh i i believe that a lot of the banks were discontinuing doing anything with schools because it was they were it was sort of exposed that banks were paying schools to, to yeah. enter in and do the educational stuff, which is like sort of not surprising, but it seems a bit dodgy too. Um, yeah. Well, I always said that the um, the C in Commonwealth Bank didn't stand for charity. So if anyone, oh, for sure. if anyone thought ComBank were doing that just because it made them feel good, um, well, they're pretty stupid. Next thing we're going to chat about was some ABS stats for May. So in the December 2020 quarter, um, capital cities lost 10,600 people to internal migration. That just means people leaving the capital cities for other areas. Um, uh -huh. So we'll talk about a few more of these stats. 43,000 extra Australians moved to regional areas from capital cities in 2020, the largest yeah. inflow since data be uh, began being analysed in 2001. So in 20 yeah. years, the highest amount of Australians moved to regional areas. Um, um, overall rents in Australia have increased by 6.6% in June on an annual basis, which is the highest annual gain since 2009. And something that we've talked about a lot, which was just sort of further confirmed with these statistics that regional markets, so not capital cities in the States, yeah. outpaced the capital cities in terms of rental value growth. Um, uh -huh. The big yeah. ones being that Sydney and Melbourne have suffered so much uh, yeah. as a, being a landlord in Sydney and Melbourne has been quite tough over the last, let's say, 18 months because uh -huh. there's been a lot of uh, lack of immigration from overseas. A lot of international students went home. So a lot yeah. of the rental market has suffered as a result. Um, anything uh -huh. to add for that one? Oh, look, I just think um, we've sort of known you know, since the pandemic 
that a lot of people have moved to regional areas. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whether whether that's a long term trend, not too sure. It depends on you know when um, when um, states are going to reopen and and that sort of stuff. You know, we're in the middle of lockdowns all over the place at the moment. Um, yeah, who knows? Who knows whether that's going to be a long-term trend? The other thing, you know, is a, a lot of the capital cities have lost a lot of renters um, because, you know, they've gone back to where they lived overseas. Um, yeah. And, you know, the, the expats who've replaced them have, you know, don't rent. You know, they, they traditionally um, uh, buy places. So yeah, it's just an interesting stat. But, yeah, as, as I said, whether, whether it's a long-term trend... Or just something that we're noticing because of um, because of uh, the pandemic and what's been happening. Yeah, who knows? Another thing we're going to talk about were a bit of news about the impact of the the shutdowns to construction that have happened in Sydney over the last week or so due to the lockdowns yeah. they've had over there. So, um, two hundred fifty thousand construction employees are casual across the Greater Sydney mm-hmm. region. And all of them yeah. have been impacted a lot, as, as well as all the other construction guys that have been impacted um, by the lockdowns. So uh, yeah. the Business New South Wales, uh, which is the industry association, their chief executive has said that this is going to be disastrous for the economy. Dan Hunter expects yeah. some to close forever as a result, like some uh, construction businesses. Yeah. And was hoping for an early reopening of sites as early as Monday the 26th. Uh, time of recording it's the 24th of uh it's the it's saturday the 24th so keep that in mind and he was sort of citing the victoria's government uh response to their lockdowns and how they just reduced construction work numbers to 25 percent of the regular workforce to ensure that large construction projects still went ahead and he's sort of hoping that gladys might follow a similar model um yeah I guess I wondered your thoughts, but I like the complaint of this is fair and it's, I, I don't really know what to say about this because I don't want to talk about lockdowns too much, but um, my friends that are in the music music industry playing live gigs at nighttime at pubs and clubs have not had any support since COVID began. So yeah. sometimes the construction people may, may not understand how nice they have it because they've yeah. not really been affected at all until now. So yeah, I yeah, wonder. I think this. I think yeah. One. I think I think the issue is that um, yeah, we don't really have a national plan for managing lockdowns. That's the thing. Yeah. You know, every state does different things. You know, in WA and Tassie and Brisbane or Queensland, as soon as there's one case, they lock the state down. Um, obviously, in New South Wales, they thought they could manage it, but that's hasn't worked. Um, yeah, there's talk that we could be in lockdown in New South Wales for um, the rest of July, all of August and summer, September. Who knows? But, yeah, I don't know. I suppose one of the things is it's going to um, put a break on building for, yeah, for people who've um, uh, in a contract to have a house built for them. It could, you know, people could be relying on a house being built by a certain time because they've got to yeah. get out of the place they're in. Yep. There's heaps of heaps of downstream downstream impacts. For sure. um, one of the other things that was interesting came through. Um, one of the articles you sent me was um, around the cost of timber going up. Yeah. Around around the around the world. So yeah, there's going to be lots of. Um, Lots of impacts on the building industry coming up over the over the coming months. For sure. 
Um, last thing I had for us to cover was I wondered whether we could sort of do a basic rundown of what refinancing is. So yeah. um, in terms of just say you own a house, you've bought it, uh, you know, you've bought it and you've been paying the mortgage off for three years and it was on a three-year fixed rate. So at the end of that fixed rate term, what options you might have for refinancing, if any, and, and sort of under, yeah. like breaking that down. Yeah. Yeah. So basically refinancing is um, you're with a bank. Um, you're either not happy with that bank or you're not happy with the rate that they're um, they're charging you or the service they're offering you, et cetera. And you basically move your banking to another bank. So we help people with that because um, especially if people have been in a loan for a, a while, we often find that you know, for some reason in this industry and a few others, their um, new customers get the best deals. So the yeah. rates offered to entice new customers are better than the rates that existing customers get. Okay. So, um, you know, we often find if you've been on, you know, a lot of banks may have, say, as you mentioned, three-year fixed rate, and it might be 1.98%. And then at the end of that three-year period, it reverts to, a discount off their standard variable rate, which might be 3.2%. So your repayments go up significantly. Um, you've got a couple of options. One, you can talk to the bank you're with about looking after you and giving you a better rate to keep you, or you can talk to a broker who can you know, take you through all the different options. And, and a lot of banks at the moment are giving um, you know, up to $3,000 um, is like cash to get your business. So um, yeah, to help with the yeah, to to discharge to refinance yeah, you probably cost five to seven hundred dollars because you've got the cost of discharging the old mortgage and some setup of the new mortgage and mm. um, yeah, having the new mortgage registered and there there might be you know a hundred dollar application fee or that sort of thing. So yeah, if you if you're going to be out of pocket five to seven hundred dollars the new bank will normally give you a couple of grand to sweeten the deal for you plus give you a better rate um you know realistically with the other option with refinancing is it enables you to get a good you know, you know see what your house is worth because it's going to be um it's going to be uh, valued by the bank that's taking your loan and you know can give you the opportunity to um to maybe you know, get some extra cash to, you know, renovate your house or yeah. you might have some higher interest, you know, might have a high interest car loan that you can pay out or you might have some money that, you you know, you've sort of whacked up on your credit cards that you haven't got quite control of so you can pay them out. So it just gives, just gives you a lot more options. Okay, beautiful. Was there anything you wanted to add on before we got out of here for this one? Look, the only thing with that cashback thing, if people are in fixed rate loans, um at a higher rate than they'd like. Um, some banks are offering cashbacks um, if your loan value is up to 90%, which would normally mean you've got to pay mortgage insurance. So we've got a few clients we're working with at the moment. We'll be able to get them out of a high rate loan so they'll be saving money and the cashback from the new lender will um, more than cover the um the mortgage insurance that they'll need to pay to get into the new loan. So there's plenty of plenty of good deals out there. You just need to um, talk to your broker or us about um, you know what your options are. Beautiful. So um, if anyone wanted to get in contact, we'd uh, 
advise you to go to Facebook, look up Money Saver Home Loans, uh, Money Saver Home Loans on Facebook, and the website is MoneySaverHomeLoans.com.au. Um, We've mentioned it in the past. There's a bunch of calculators that you can use for free on that website. So if you have any, um, you sort of want to get an understanding of maybe your borrowing capacity or things of that nature, there are calculators on there to do so. Um, Anything to add? No, that's that's great. Yeah, we're happy to happy to help. And um, if we can't, we'll point you in the right direction. Um, we also do quite a lot of work with national buyers agents around around the country who who can buy you a good property and a good growth location, if that's your your gig. And a lot of them are around the um, mid to high three hundreds to low four hundred thousand dollar mark. So, so, again, so, some so affordable good, too. Yeah, and cash yeah. flow positive in a lot of cases. So beautiful. All right, we'll get out of here on that.